Bible studies. It's usually pretty interactive. So um, unfortunately, the nature of this is not as interactive, but you're welcome to like interject if you have a question or if you have an opinion or you're like, yeah, I agree. I have a story that represents that well. Feel free to interject. I wanted this to be interactive because like I said, we all have something we can learn from each other. Um, and when you're telling a story that's personal to you, it helps us get to know you, which is important because we want to form community because the New Testament church was all about community. All right. Um, does, okay, one person has a Bible. If there are people with phone Bibles that would like to read some scripture, let me know because I have some to distribute. Uh, Elizabeth, can you do Luke 14, mm -hmm. 28 to 30? And then, Rachel, can you so long open on 1 Corinthians 3, mm -hmm. verse 11? And then keep it there because I'm going to ask you to read more of it just now. Okay. Would you mind reading? Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I, I okay. will. I, how do you answer that question? No, I don't. I am you. down to read. It's, it's my response. <laughs> okay. Uh, Isaiah 28, verse 16. I don't think I've ever heard you say Isaiah before. I know. I know. I was, almost, I was like, wait, that, that was, I, I was like, yeah. wait, I don't <laughs> think I have that one. I was like, wait, Which one's I, that? I really don't know Bible. <laughs> okay, what, what for? Isaiah? 28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-28-6-
but you are then giving your life in servitude to God. Now that might seem like a foreign concept to us, but hundreds of years ago, that was very common. If someone saved your life, you would give them your life as a debt. So if you save someone from drowning, they would literally say to you like, I'm your servant for life. And they would follow you around, do whatever you want them to do. They would give their life to you as a thank you. Cause they're like, basically I am dead because I was going to die, but you saved me. So my life would have ended right then anyway. So for the rest of my existence, I give to you. So this was a common thing back then, but now we kind of lose that. So while we're going through these 10 truths of salvation, which is the beginning of this book, um, these 10 truths are what happens if you've truly been saved, you will experiences, experience these 10. In varying degrees, and obviously you go through seasons of life where maybe a few of these truths won't be as strong to you anymore, but they basically will be there. If there's by any chance anyone in the room that as we go through this might think, maybe I'm not saved? First of all, that's okay. Like acknowledging that is more than most people will ever do in their entire lives. The Bible says many people get to heaven think they're saved and say, Lord, Lord. And he's like, I didn't know you. Sorry. Bye. So if you can acknowledge that you're not saved, that's not a bad thing. That is a beautiful thing. So if there's anyone here, there's no judgment. In fact, you're my favorite kind of person. Cause I hate a hypocrite, either be hot or cold. If you can admit you're cold. Yes. I love you. Thank you for just speaking the truth about your heart. There's nothing wrong with that. I will take an atheist over a lukewarm person any day. Um, so, if you do come to that realization, I hope that you do decide to fully commit your life to Christ. But I do want you to do it by counting the cost. It's not simply that he saves you. It's that he saves you unto something. You're being saved so that you can live your life for him. If you don't want to live your life for him, that's terribly sad. But that's a decision you have to make. There's no calling yourself a Christian and then not living for him. In fact, that's the biggest problem with the Western world today is that many people who say they're Christians are not, and therefore they taint the name of Christianity. And that's why so many people don't want to join Christianity because they say it's a hypocritical religion. But if everyone was living as Christ called them to live, no one would be able to say that. All right. I have verbal diarrhea. You guys are going to learn. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, who was next? Oh, I'm next. Hold on. Uh, Psalms 11 verses 2 to 3. I've given this course, by the way, so many times that I can't even count anymore. After I did it, I loved it so much. I went to the pastor. I'm like, how do I get involved teaching this course? And they trained me and I taught it every single time after that. Every month. Every year I was in that church, I taught this course. So I found this verse very early on and I was like, this is my opening verse. So this is how I used to open before I gave the spiel. Um, <laughs> Psalm 11, 2-3. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So again... Satan knows that if there are certain foundations that aren't in your life, he can very easily destroy you. And that again is the purpose of this course, to build those foundations up so that you are strong and can stand against the enemy. 
Rachel. Do you want just a verse 11? Yeah, for now. Okay. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. All right. So the foundation of all foundations is Jesus Christ. And so for the 10 truths about salvation, that is what we're going to focus on. Christ as the first foundation. Then there are going to be a few more things which we're going to hear from Yannick in a few seconds that are also considered foundations in the Christian faith. But the foundation of foundations is Christ. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So that scripture was a prophecy about Jesus, which is why he's called the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. It's because it's a reference back to Isaiah. So again, Christ is the foundation. Uh, then read 10 to 15. <clears throat> okay. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I love that piece of scripture. <clears throat> He's speaking about the fact that Christ is the foundation. And then he continues the metaphor and he says, every doctrine and belief that you add upon that is now building onto this house where the foundation is Christ. And then he compares each of these things. Some of these things that you build on are like building with clay or jewels or gold. And he says on judgment day, each of those things will be tested by fire. The things that are pure and good and real, like gold, silver, that can withstand fire, will endure forever. But the things that were made of clay and wheat will be burnt up. And the person who built with those things will suffer loss. So what I believe that means is, there are things we act upon in our Christian life and there are things we believe. Some are right, some are wrong. There are things we do in our Christian life. Some are right, some are wrong. Now I'm not talking about wrong as in, obvious wrong like sin but wrong more in a sense of omission so you're it's it's wrong because you're not doing something not because you're doing something bad does that make sense there's commission which is i did something wrong there's omission i failed to do something right okay so you're building on this house and one day on judgment day god is going to test all your works everything you believed everything you did for everything that endures that test you will get a reward for everything that doesn't you will suffer loss which i take to mean you will get less reward but if your foundation was christ you will still be saved so you will still get to heaven but the reward you get for living your life will differ depending on how you've built on your house so i believe that the things we're going to go through in this course and all the courses that come from this are going to be things you're going to use to build your house. And 
I believe these are the things that will endure forever. If you build your house with them, it'll be like the parable of the man who built his house on the rock. It's something firm, something the enemy can't just come and destroy. Um, another thing I want to say about all the things we're going to be going through. Nothing besides salvation. Nothing I'm going to teach you will save you. Jesus is the only thing that saves. So if we all agree on that, we've truly given our lives to Christ and are truly living for him. We will all see each other in heaven. Here's the difference. If I say to you, go to Texas, but you have to walk. I promise you won't die, but you have to walk. Can you get there? Is it possible for you to get there? Yeah, but it won't be fine. <laughs> it won't be fine. All right. If I said to you, go to Texas, here's a bicycle. I promise you won't die. Can you get to Texas? You get there a faster. <laughs> You've never seen her ride a bicycle. <laughs> Cassandra's never ridden a bicycle. I have. She's <laughs> not well. <laughs> and if I said to you, get to Texas, here's a plane ticket. I'm a jet. <laughs> You're going to get there, right? Yep. Who's going to get there the most comfortable? The quickest. With the least injury. And the happiest countenance on his face. <laughs> Alright. So that's what all these other principles are. We're all going to get there. If you're truly saved, we're all getting there. But how we get there, how well we get there, how successfully we get there, is dependent upon the things that you believe and the things that you practice in your everyday life. So I believe that God has given us tools to promote our walk with God. Some of them are prayer, worship, reading the word, being baptized with water, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. A little bit of a spoiler there, things we're going to be going through. And if you never apply those things, the prayer is an iffy one, but <laughs> if you never apply those things, and you're, but you're truly saved, we'll meet in heaven. But you are voluntarily walking down a path that's really difficult and hard and unnecessary for you to go through. When God has said, here's a plane ticket, here's a meal voucher, here's a hotel, here are all these things I've given you to help you get to Texas so much quicker and easier. It's your choice whether you want the plane ticket or not. He's not going to force you to take the plane ticket. He's like, as long as you get to Texas, that's really what's important. And if you don't want to use all the free stuff, then oh well, you know? Or it's the same as if they'd say, by some chance, you meet the president. If you don't like Trump, think of whoever you like, okay? <laughs> I don't want to get political. Think, or if you like the Queen of England, right? <laughs> Alright, if you meet someone that high up, you form a friendship with them and they say, here's a cell phone. It's my private line on it. You dial this button, it's like, pre-saved in there. You dial it, you get me, and anything you ask for, I'll give you, right? Like anything you have trouble with, I'll solve it for you. The president is not going to call you every day and be like, hey, you, you need something? No, he already gave you the phone to call him and tell him if you need something. And if you don't use it, you're still going to have a friendship with him, but you're not really using everything he's given you, and you're kind of being stupid, to be honest. I'm sorry. 
It's the same with the kingdom of God. He's given you all these things to help your walk. You don't have to use them, but you're really disadvantaging yourself if you don't. Your verse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Hebrews 6, right? 1, 2? Uh, Just make sure. 1 to 2. Okay. Uh, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. Cool. I don't like your translation though, because you ruined my point. But <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so yeah, let me read a different translation. When he said what did you say? The what of washings? Uh the instruction. The instruction of washing. So my translation says doctrine of baptisms, which is more applicable. But <laughs> um, I love that verse because here's Paul saying, if I can do my version of the Bible, like Cassandra translation, Paul's like, guys, seriously, why are we still speaking about the same stuff? Like, why are we still arguing about these few things that are like so elementary? We shouldn't be talking about them anymore. We should be going on to more advanced things yet. Why are we still arguing about repentance from dead works? Why are we arguing about doctrines of baptisms? And this was in the New Testament church. What are we doing 2,000 years later? Literally, we're still arguing about the few things that he just listed. And many more. But we're still arguing about it. It's really not supposed to be an argument. It's pretty mundane. It's pretty obvious in scripture what God says about those things. So we won't be going through all of those through this course, but some of them are in here. And I would say that take mental note of that. The fact that God through Paul said these things are elementary. So my hope is that we can get through the elementary stuff so we don't even have to talk about it anymore. It should be so obvious to all of us how these things work and function so that we can move on to mature things, to, as Paul puts it in other letters, to meat instead of milk. All right. Um, so we're going to start in the book, finally. And we're going to discuss 10 truths about salvation. How much time do I have, Elizabeth? About 15 minutes. Cool. We'll get to where we get to. Um, and these are just basic things saying, if you truly have been saved by Christ, these are the things that are given to you. These are the things you should see in your life. So the first truth is a new birth. Um, in John 3, 3, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Um, and this is the part where Nicodemus is like all confused. And he's like, so I've got to go back up my mom and come out my mom again. <laughs> uh this first part. Oh, the first part. For some reason, I see already on two and I'm on one. Oh, because I deleted this page was wrong in the old version. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I edited like five percent so it wouldn't be completely plagiarized. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesus is like, no, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he says, unless you have been born of both water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Which, there's a lot of debate about what that means. But here's what 
I believe it means and what the people who wrote this book believe it means. And they explain it by reading what Jesus says next when he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So he's elaborating on his point. So when he says you have to be born of water and you have to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. He's basically saying this. You have to be born as in physically born, which is born of water. Why is that born of water? Because what happens when your mom is about to give birth to you? Her water breaks and that's when you come through. And that's why he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Because he's saying you have to be born. You have to be a real human being first. You have to exist. <laughs> okay. And then that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So then you have your being born again into the family of God. That's when you come to Christ for the first time. So in order to be saved, you have to be born physically. Can everyone agree on that? You have to <laughs> exist. Okay. And then you have to be born of God, born of the Spirit, which is when Christ comes, He takes your heart of stone, crushes it with His Word, gives you a heart of flesh, and suddenly you're a new person. All right? I'm not going to read everything this book says. That's why you're going to be able to take it home eventually and read it all for yourself. If I have to talk and read everything, we'll never finish. Um, <laughs> truth 2 on the next page. A new creation. 2 Corinthians, everyone always laughs when I say 2 Corinthians instead of 2 Corinthians, but whatever, it's <laughs> my thing. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Note it doesn't say, I fixed them, or I renewed them, or I edited it and saved it. It's I made new. God, God doesn't take you, this broken vessel, like you're this piece of pottery that got shattered on the ground because you sinned, so you're in pieces. God doesn't take each piece and sit there gluing it back together. He says, no, no, no. I start over. You are new. You don't have cracks in you with glue marks on them. You are not blemished in any way. When Christ saves you, you are new. There is nothing of the old you that is there anymore. Your spirit is completely renewed. So how do we know we're a new creation? When people meet with Jesus and enter God's family, many wonderful changes take place. And if you've been truly saved, you will be able to relate to hopefully all of these things. They experience a new peace of heart and mind. I'm not going to read the scriptures that go through, uh, go with them. Um, they feel clean on the inside because Christ has washed you of your sins. Uh, they feel they want to be in the family of God. That for me was a huge thing. Was I didn't come from a great family, and, uh, which I didn't really elaborate on, but we'll get to it in, uh, maybe next week. But when I got saved... Man, I loved to be around Christians. They were the best thing ever. I loved them. I wanted to be around them all the time. I wanted them at my house. We were in a church. I attended everything I could at church because I just wanted to be around these people. These people that were so in love with God and helped me so much and were such an inspiration to me. I loved them. I loved church. I will, anything my church offered, I signed up for. It was like, intercession, done. Youth, I don't like kids, but I'll stand at the back. 
done. Like, I was just like, everything I could, I joined. I just wanted to be in that building as much as I could. To the point where I was at church five to six days a week. The only reason I wasn't there the whole week was they didn't have something on the one day that I wasn't there. Um, they feel they want to be in the family of God. Their old habits begin to fall away. That is a very strong sign that you are now saved. The speed of this is different for different people. I've known people that got saved and it's literally like a cutoff. Like everything that they ever did wrong, it's over. They don't have any problem, never going back to it. Um, for others, it takes time. For me, I was somewhere in the middle. There were things that God did where literally the next day were different for me. Like I used to swear so much. Like I didn't even realize how much I was doing it. And I always wanted to stop because you know, it's not like the best thing in the world, but I didn't really care because it wasn't really saved. Um, but then I got really saved after this course. And then I was like, Ugh, I swear so much. And I felt bad about it. And it was the first thing that God took away. Um, it, it, I didn't like stop swearing immediately, but the first time I sweared after, swore, swear, swore, sorry, I'm too excited about that. <laughs> first time I swore, uh, I blame it on being American too long. Yeah, my English, my, my, my pommy English is going out the door. Um, uh, the first time I swore, um, I, it was different. Like first I noticed, I was like, whoa, what did I just say? That sounded terrible. And I felt, I didn't feel condemnation and we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. I felt conviction. Like I was like, oh, that's, that's not, I shouldn't be saying that. And then for a few days that kept happening. Every time I'd swear, like, oh, this is terrible. Then a few days later, as I was about to swear, it was like, oh, fiddlesticks instead you know like before i would swear it stopped and then i would say in about two weeks after that and it didn't even come in my mind anymore like the thought of swearing didn't enter i didn't have to stop myself because it just wasn't there so there were things like that that god like really quickly was like we got to stop this 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 and this there are other things that he only dealt with after like me being saved for two years that he's like okay this thing that i've been letting go unchecked for two years it's time now we're dealing with it. God knows what you can handle. He's not going to overwhelm you with everything you need to change about your life. If you can handle this kind of change, you will have that kind of change. If you can only handle baby steps, God will take you at baby steps. But change will happen. If you look back on from the day you got saved and you're kind of not really any different today, you're not saved. You have to have a trajectory of going up. Being more like Christ over time. Some of us go very slowly. And others of us just seem to like freaking soar. Like American Airlines. Gone. <laughs> you know. But as long as you're going up. You have to be coming more like Christ. As long as, as long as you're winning the race. Slow and steady. Or the rabbit. As long as you're going. You're fine. <laughs> Alright. Um, they begin to acquire a new set of values. So that is kind of similar to what I just said. Suddenly things are different. The things that you liked, you might not like anymore. The things you thought were funny, aren't so funny anymore. The friends that you thought were cool, aren't so cool anymore. The programs you used to watch, 
kind of bother you now, even though the storyline might still be good, but the stuff that's happening in there isn't so great. So you're like, maybe I'm not gonna watch that. You talk to the Cassandra has conviction. I was gonna say, that's what we're talking Personal. Yeah, that's Joseph. Korean Joseph. No, it's not the Korean. Dang Netflix. Well, I don't like Netflix. Anything with a good storyline is mature. I'm like, I don't want it. But yeah. I want the story. <laughs> yeah. They begin to desire to read the Bible. Before I was truly saved, I read the Bible because it was what you did when you were a Christian. When I got saved, I read the Bible because I wanted to know about God. And when I had stuff like this before I was saved, I'd be interested until I saw one John. I'm like, mm, skip, skip, skip. Okay, when you receive Jesus into your heart. Anytime I saw scripture quoted in something, my natural instinct was to skip it. Like, I don't know if it's because I thought I knew it or I just believe there was a natural aversion in my heart to scripture because I was not truly saved. But once I was truly saved, I wanted to read it all. What does it say? I want to understand. What does that version mean? What does that word mean? Give me a dictionary. Oh my word, what's the Greek? You know, like, I got really into it. You might not get that deep, but I, you... Hmm? I will say that that happened, that happened with me was that I had the Bible sitting next to my bed for years, but I never did anything with it. And I think that what finally made made it make sense, the reason why I didn't do it, because in the Bible it states that once you know the word, you're being held accountable for it. So if I didn't read it, I didn't have to be accountable. So you become a totally new creation and many other similar changes take place from the inside. This process of change will continue in your life for as long as you respond to it. However, if you become hard in your spirit towards the Lord, and if you no longer allow the Lord to apply the word to your heart and life, something becomes hard on the inside. This hardness will stop the process of change. Some people have allowed the Lord to begin a change in their lives, but because of the hardness of their hearts, have stopped the Lord's changing process and have allowed themselves to move away from God. They must turn back to the Lord and let Him continue the work of making them totally new people. That happens to a lot of us. Fine. Okay. Thank you. I thought you were going to do the nose thing. Or were you like sitting there going, oh my gosh, she's not getting this. Um, people... When they're first saved, a lot of people are like, have you met those Christians? They're brand new. And they're like, woo, happy, jumpy, love everything about Jesus. And you've been saved 10 years and you're like, yeah, wait a bit. You know, <laughs> like, there, I believe there's a season. Are you sure you're just high on God? <laughs> <laughs> I believe there's a season that God allows when you just become a Christian, where he has this like supernatural protection over you. So you're not getting like super attacked by the enemy. Everything is wonderful. He allows your spirit to feel his. You love the word. Everything's great. Oh my word. And then one day, you don't know how, but it just stops. And you, you might not even know it was one day. Just like you look back and you're suddenly like, what happened? When did that happen? When did I stop feeling like that? I believe, and this is Cassandra doctrine, so this you can take or leave. I will always say that. If it's my opinion, I will always say it's my opinion. I will never tell you it's doctrine. Um, I think 
we're allowed a certain amount of time of grace. Just like a child. When a child is really young, you're going to let it not get away with wrong, but you're not going to expect a certain standard of it. I mean, it's a baby, right? It's, it's learning. So you treat it well. well. I'm the worst on kids, so maybe I'm not good to like <laughs> talk on this, but I presume those who love children will want to treat them well and look after them. But there comes a time as a parent, at least a good one, I'd hope, that your child has to start learning to do things by themselves. So you pull back a little, as hard as it may be, for some people. I really don't like kids. Um, <laughs> um, you pull back, little bits at a time, and you allow them to learn, even if it means they make mistakes. Because you know there's going to come a time where you can't control every decision they make. You can't go with them everywhere they go. They have to learn to function independently. And so I believe the same is true spiritually. God allows for new Christians a certain time of like amazingness. And it's not that that's exclusive for them and we can never achieve that again. We're all supposed to feel like that all the time. The difference is where in the beginning you didn't have to work for it. When you start to mature in your faith, now you have to work for it. Now you're not going to just feel God's presence willy-nilly every time you're just like, hey, Jesus. Ooh. It's not going <laughs> to happen like that anymore. Okay? You're not going to just like want to read the Bible every day and be like, oh, I love it so much. You have to work on it. Some days you're going to really not feel like it. You have to force yourself to. Sometimes you're going to think, I don't have anything to say to Jesus today. I don't really want to pray. Too bad. Pray. It's like when you tell your kid, too bad. Do your homework. It really doesn't matter what your opinion is of this. It's good for you. You do it. Right? So there's that. And then there's people hardening their hearts. So sometimes change stops because we are enjoying... I don't enjoying... want to stop listening to Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that point. Not, not Eminem specifically. But you either get to a point where you were a baby and you enjoyed being a baby. But now you have to mature. But you don't know how. You don't want to. And so the change, the becoming more like Christ has stopped. Or Christ is still trying to develop you. Maybe you've been walking with him for a while and things are fine. But there comes a point where he's trying to change something in you and you start to resist. Like, no, I don't, I don't really want to do that or change that or give that up or go there in that relationship, start that job, move to that town, whatever it is. And every time you reject God, just a little, the Holy Spirit inches back just a little. You're still saved. But the Holy Spirit removes himself. He's a gentleman. He's not one of those guys that's like, girl, 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 the whole time. Like, he's like, can I take you on a date? And you're like, no, he's like, okay. And he steps back. He might like contact you in another week. Like, you sure you don't want that date? I'm fine. Thank you very much. It's like, okay, I'm going to wait a few months. Comes back again. Hey, change your mind yet? No. All right. I'll remove myself again. He's polite. If you're going to keep rejecting him, he's going to respect your wish for him not to be powerfully in your life. So the presence there, the presence of the Holy Spirit is always there in a believer. But feeling him, the anointing, the empowering of the Holy Spirit will become quieter and quieter the more that you reject him. So that's why a lot of us grow stagnant in our Christian walk. Is we get to a point where 
Maybe we read something here, we don't want to do it. Or we heard something from God and we don't want to obey. Or there's a sin that we love so much, just can't give it up. Like, if God wants me to give that up, I'm sorry. It's either me and this sin or nothing, Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, man, fine. Take your sin. Take your idol. Um, and then in 1 John 4, 4, he's speaking about overcoming. All those things that hinder you from that closeness with God can be overcome, but only in true relationship with him. Oh, what's done? Hey, not great. All right. So, funny thing is, this course can be done in three hours if you don't speak as much as I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we will stop there for now. And please hand your books back in so no peeking. I would encourage you all to start now Johan reading Christ. certain scriptures, Johan? which Jordan has been having for homework for the last two months, I think. Oh, yeah, um, the reason I'm giving it to you now is because it's coming up and it's quite a lot of reading, so I'd rather you start now. But I would like you to... Um, thank you. <laughs> Who's everybody so pretty? Jordan, jeez. Um, I would like you to read in your own time 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 all the way through to the end of chapter 14 and now for the big one I would like you to read Acts chapter 1 to chapter 20. Mm. I know it's a lot, but it's not for next week. It'll, depending on how fast we go, be either two weeks from now or three weeks from now. So start and start with Acts because that's the big one and it's the important one. And while you're reading through Acts, I want you to, if you're one of those people that's okay with like touching your Bible with marker, um, <laughs> if not, try a pencil. Um, Mark every time you see Holy Spirit, baptism, or anything related to those two. So if they're talking about water and you know it's not drinking water, they're talking about baptismal water, underline it. If they're talking about the Holy Spirit but not saying the word Holy Spirit, underline it. Um, because we're going to eventually get there and I want you to already have read through the greatest account of the Holy Spirit that we have in Scripture, which is the book of Acts. Because... When I teach on the Holy Spirit, I want you to already know what the truth teaches you. So that if I'm lying to you, you will know. But if I'm telling the truth, you would have already read it. And so if what I'm saying lines up with what you've read, then you know it's accurate. All right. So read through Acts 1 to 20 first. And when you're done with that, then go on to uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, for next week... Try and see how far you can get, maybe three quarters or half the way through that. That would be ideal. Um, and I encourage you guys to come every week because it is going to build. And I don't want anyone to miss anything. Uh, for those of you who everything I've said, you're like, that was so basic. I remind you to be humble in the presence of God. It will be teachable. And, <laughs> and I'm reminding you that to build a house, 
you can't start without foundation. So I promise you that we will decorate your house with wallpaper and put a pretty chimney on it and all that. But first we have to build it with the basics. So I encourage you to come every week. We didn't get through that much, which is actually good because that means you can still invite people next week to come.